This is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice. With me, Michael Q. And me, Roger Bell West. This is a special celebratory issue in which we celebrate the fact that we forgot to mention last time was our 50th episode. So this is the special bumper or all fun edition, the 51st edition. Woohoo, it's almost a prime number. Uh, yeah, no, not even slightly. Uh, <laughs> Of, of our podcast. And we're going to be talking about the good old days, um, when they were and if they were. We're going to be talking about what else, Roger? Uh, how, how she can bring a new player, or indeed an old player, coming back into a group. And about the great, wonderful world of being shaken and not stirred uh, too frequently or too deeply in the world of espionage. Onward. <laughs> In this month's Alarms and Excursions, a venerable uh, gaming publication for which I contribute, there is a topic raised of what do you do when you have a long-running campaign and you suddenly have a new player re-enter it, or, for that matter, an old player re-enter it. What do you do? And I was struck by the fact that I don't have a set routine for this other than... Well, uh, sit down, shut up, and roll those dice where I can see them. <laughs> uh, I don't say much more than, hello, uh, these are your fellow players, this is the game we're playing, and these are their characters. What would you like to play? And apart from the bit about roll the dice where I can see them, which is sort of a house rule, I'm not sure I have any great customs and things that can't be picked up as we go along. But maybe I'm not seeing myself as others see me. Roger, you once wandered into uh, one of my games. Do we have customs and things that ought to have been warned about? Well, I think you have foibles. I think every group has foibles. Hmm. The thing that occurred to me looking at this question was that it is really two quite separate questions. Go on. Uh, primarily a social one. Yeah. With a tiny game mechanics one tacked on the side. Well, yeah. So, so naturally, let's deal with the game mechanics first. Um, <laughs> I steal John Dalman's idea. Uh, yeah. uh, we're generally playing GURPS, uh, but it can be adapted to other things as well. Um, the the new character gets as many character points as the lowest point value member of the party, hmm. um, which in practice usually means the one whose player has been around least, because we generally do points per session when you're there. Uh, this is relevant in GURPS because buying stuff all at once can be more efficient than getting it piecemeal. Yeah, I, quite, I, quite often a, a, a long-run character will have a point or two in a skill that they never actually use, but they thought would be a good idea, that sort of thing. Yeah, I was going to say that I have, on occasion, when I've come across that issue, um, given the new player um, the base number for the campaign plus a bonus related to the average of what um, the other players have. Um, so mm. stick it somewhere in the middle, not between not between lowest and highest. Yeah, I, I think possibly if you were in a 
level-based system where a fifth-level fighter is about as powerful as another fifth-level fighter, mm. then some sort of averaging would work better. With with GURPS, I think there's enough of an efficiency gain that the the you know five or ten points yeah. that you might be losing out on don't really well, become a factor. It can, it, can, it can become on really long running campaigns. We can, we, we're going into hundreds. You have longer running campaigns than I do. You also have longer running groups than I do. I mean, the, the group I've yeah, been true. playing with longest. Uh, is the Cambridge lot, which I started with in 2003, I think, mm. thereabouts. Yeah, and, th- and it's substantially the same group. Mm. People have dropped in and out. I think, I think here, here on this point, and it's, it's a good one to, to think about, the aim is to make the person feel that they have something to aim towards, but they aren't ludicrously... Um, crippled by we've all made this mistake at some some stage of insisting everybody starts as a zero in order to build up to a hero even if you're in the middle of the story yeah if well particularly in a game with with a high death rate which we've talked about before mm. that that can be sustainable if you've got a constant flow of new characters coming into the party then obviously whatever you do for a new player should be exactly what you do for yeah other new characters and, and there are people out there who still say that everybody starts at first level. Um, generally, the campaign is a fairly low level one. You might have people sort of th- third or fourth or fifth, but part of their job is looking after the new guys. Yeah, the this is coming up again in my uh, in my current Pendragon game as uh, uh, somebody has just died gloriously fighting a giant, which they didn't really have to fight. They could they could just have kept out of the way of the damn thing. <laughs> So I'm uh, uh, glory, but glory. Well, his son, who will be mature in about fourteen years, will be very grateful for that <laughs> glory, no doubt. But um, the uh, um, at the moment, I'm going to have to generate his his younger brother, and I asked Rob how much younger me um, wanted the brother to be. Given that his character was just approaching the thirty-five-year-old, and oh my, my aching bones level mm-hmm. in is uh, in uh, in in Pendragon. So yeah, there is a, a there is a moment. I think um, this is something I'm reflecting on for another game I'm in. I think that what you want is to give them the equivalent of a guest star level, if if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's who's coming in. Um, and may become a permanent character if the fans like him enough. Yeah. So, um, so he, I, I would say, look at it in a slightly different way. They should have something to do. Yeah. Um, they shouldn't be the focus of every scene, just just as any normal PC shouldn't yeah. be the focus of every scene. Um, not so much guest star as I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure what the proper term for it is in, in television terms. Guest star to me says that the episode is about them. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking more. This is somebody we're introducing, and as you say, to see if the fans like them. Well, uh, I, I, and, if, and if they do, then they're going to become a regular part of the ensemble cast. I think that the, uh, um, I think there is a case for making the, a person's first adventure somewhat about them. Um, it 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 gives you a reason why this geek is coming along in the first place. Why is he <laughs> sticking his neck into this already well-established band of brothers? Um, yeah, though that gets away from power level and mm. more into how do you design the adventure, I think, because you can do that about a character who's very low, very low powered. Well, yes. Yeah, if you want to. Um, mm. I, I, I don't aim adventures at specific PCs mm. deliberately. 
Though it sometimes happens after the fact that I realise that's what I did. Yeah. It's not by design. Well, one of the thing, things is that that's if you're if you're using the the TV series model rather than well almost anything else, um, then people have to get screen time and um, and that's good because some people don't like screen time. Some players, I'm sorry, don't like screen time. However much theoretically their their characters um, enjoy it, and it, and it may be a bit much. If you're talking about a new player and you don't know how much they enjoy being uh, the focus of attention, then perhaps that is a bad idea. And other players don't mind sitting in the background for for week after week, and occasionally they get to do something impressive, but they don't mind that much if they don't. So. Well, well, I, I, my, the ego of my players is enough that they will ensure that they get some attention. <laughs> but, um, more on the social side, I, I, I think it's it's really just. As with any group, you you the the newcomer learns how the group yeah. gets along. The group adjusts slightly to how the newcomer gets along. Um, I've we've had one new player in the Cambridge group who's who's stayed uh, in the last few years. We had a couple more who who tried it and um, drifted away for various reasons. Um, the, the one who stayed, I, I think, I don't think we make any special efforts to accommodate her. I don't. I assume she's not making any great effort to accommodate us. Well, I yeah, I I do worry because you know I I'm a perfectionist and 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 can't have enough guilt ladled ladled on my soul. Um, I do worry about the ones who go away and never come back, who say I won't be here next week and then never return. But mm. you really can't tell, and you never meet them again. And well, we we had one chap who who was quite fun, but. Uh, chronically unorganised mm. and basically didn't answer mail, didn't turn up to sessions. On the occasions you, you could get in touch with them and said, yeah, this is great, I'll, I'll be along next week and then wouldn't be there. Yeah. So, you know, whatever. I, 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 it's not my job to drag him in. Please be aware that we are British and if you do turn up at one of our, our, uh, our games, um, we... Probably won't go all touchy feely um, in the early stages. On the other hand, we are gamers, and we may overwhelm you by overacting and getting you involved and all that sort of thing. It's a very much a mixed bag, I'm afraid. Yeah, I think some of it does depend on the type of game as well. Uh, if it is something like GURPS, where at least the the groups I play with, we tend not to generate characters live at the table. Hmm. Um, so that that usually means that the the G, at very least the GM and the player have been having a chat, saying, "Okay, this is the sort of character I'd like to play." Yeah. Maybe the char- maybe the player knows the rules well enough that they can do, Get it do, together. The, do the numbers themselves. Quite quite often, uh, the GM will will do the raw numbers. Mm. Um, I think there are fewer and fewer games nowadays. I mean, there are some, and God bless them, where you can actually generate a character at, at the table. I think the, there are quite a few games that are going towards that, mm-hmm. um, particularly the indie stuff, of course. But um, I'm, I'm seeing a lot lighter weight in games in general, so that, yeah, may, maybe there is a, a procedure to go through that involves you looking at things in a book, but it's a procedure that takes ten minutes. Well, yeah, 
it is it is well i was thinking of things like apocalypse world it must be said which are deliberately designed to you hand them the character sheet they make the choices they're ready to roll yeah uh, i think some of that is deliberately trying to recapture that i know a lot of people whose first experience of role playing was uh, that there, there are some guys being noisy in the corner and one of them looks over and hands, hands them three dice and says we need a cleric <laughs> yeah, i don't think that happens anymore but i think the um that sort of you know what you're doing, you know roughly what your job is, and you can get playing straight away. Yeah. It's, it's a deliberate choice there. Well, we hope that we're going to be sensitive to your needs. We hope that, uh, I hope that you're going to tell us about them. Um, That's a whole separate problem. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. No, but, yeah I, uh, I, I would much rather a player who is unhappy talk to me about it rather than just not turn up. Yeah, it may well be that there's nothing I can do, but we can resolve that by the player not turning up, if we have to. Yeah, maybe we can sort something else out. I well, that's good advice for long-term players as well. Tell your GM when it when you're unhappy. He may not pay any attention, but yeah, um, I do tend to mention to my my GMs. This is roughly how the character's feeling at the moment. Yeah, it may not have come up in play, so I'll say, yeah. okay, yeah, okay, he he wants to do um, a bit. A bit more of this sort of thing that may well not be something that happens in play, but could we consider it as uh, downtime or whatever? Yeah, I am. Um, um, yeah. uh, it is a peculiar social contract, and and some ways it's a bit like a it's a bit it's a, a bit like a I was going to say a marriage, but it's not quite that intense. Mm. We we do meet our friends on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis over years, and we do get into ruts and sets and people do have predefined positions in the group um and it's something that i have found is, is when a new player comes in i suddenly not start to notice the foibles of the existing players yeah it does highlight them and you can see them grinding on their on their nerves sometimes even if the player themselves hasn't hasn't particularly noticed i'm suddenly thinking yeah okay i've got used to that person doing that but now it's really annoying me mm. It may just be that I'm, I'm looking for any excuse to be annoyed, of course. Uh, who could possibly say that? Uh, well, let us pass on. Having having spread uh, a sweetness and light amongst our, our acquaintanceship to the next thing. Brett Evel has asked us about spy stories, which he said, uh, including very noisy and destructive clandestine operators like James Bond, but it's been steadily successful in books and short stories and TV. A few special purpose role-playing games, Top Secret, James Bond 007, um, Lights Black Agents. So, how do we feel about espionage as a genre, as as a what are the conventions, that sort of thing? Well, it should be said that, first of all, there is one major problem, and that is the James Bond idea. The yeah, <laughs> the the problem being that that the uh, the traditional spy story is about a man alone, um, which is actually the 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 name of the uh, the theme tune from the Icarus File. Mm-hmm. As an obscure piece of geek knowledge for you, <laughs> um, it's about yet. one man doing doing uh, doing his his best under difficult circumstances, even more than the traditional um, the traditional uh, detective story. Mm. 
and that doesn't fit in well with the, with team play. The problem I have with James Bond specifically, yeah. um, it, which speaks to the cinematic versus realistic thing, the problem is, and I'm talking about the, the James Bond books here, not, not so much the films, which are a separate thing. The books reflect how Ian Fleming genuinely thought espionage worked. Really? That is why, in the war, they had to keep him in the back rooms coming up with daft ideas and well away from anything operational. They would send him to talk to the Americans and, and set up um, stuff for them, rather than risk letting him anywhere ever get anywhere near the field. Good grief. Um... So you, the thing is, you, you have realistic detail in yeah. the books. And the, the books are a guide to the snobbery of the 1950s and 1960s. Yeah. If a brand name is in there, it's a thing he wants you to be impressed by. Um, but mixed with agents and operations who are wildly implausible, because that's the bit he didn't know about. Except by distant report and yeah. war stories and so on. Um, and a, a realistic campaign, I think, can be interesting. But either you're concentrating on the people with the exciting jobs and the, the small small moments of excitement they have in their humdrum mm -hmm. lives, or you're prepared to say something like, six months later you've gathered enough information from this watching brief to act. Yeah. And that's tricky. Yeah. The the uh, the cinematic end... Well, let, let's be frank. Uh, the, most of the jobs we find interesting enough to... Um, to role play from warrior to um, uh, to to spy to detective are tedious in the in in the routine in the in getting things done in mm. in in the realistic uh, detail uh, and exciting in the brief moments we choose to depict on screen or in games. Yeah, I think the um, detail of game mechanics is relevant there. It's you know, most games have an emphasis on combat, ultimately because of the wargaming roots of uh, role-playing yeah. as we know it. And because, but, and because kicking somebody in the head is so often a solution to a problem. But what this means is that for, for many players, at least if you don't do it too often, a good long combat can take up most of a session and be fun. Yeah. And a certain amount of that is metagaming and you know, working the system and so on, but essentially it's something you can do. It is not fun to say... Roll against your surveillance skill. Yeah, I'll I'll come back to that. Um, I do think espionage is a lens that can you can apply to multiple genres. Um, Mission Impossible is a yeah. is a caper show, which has espionage painted over the top to tell you that no, that's all right. These are the good guys. <laughs> they're they're not just a bunch of criminals ruining people's lives for fun. They're ruining people ruining people's lives for their country. Yeah, Burn Notice um, is. Again, basically a caper show, with the espionage providing an excuse for the skills of the protagonists and so, some amount of long-term plot. You, you can drop a bit of spy stuff into, into pretty much anything. It's also very flexible, because you, you, the actual adventure can be practically anything. Mm. You know, Get the MacGuffin from inside somebody's defences, and there's a time limit. Or find out who's the traitor, or rescue yeah. the princess, or pretty much anything that happens in another role-playing game can be put into. Yeah. Um... You are required, I think, to have at some point an adventure where the agency gets taken over, you're out on your own with your goodies revoked. Yeah, it's the default position um, uh, in Knights Black Agents. A, gen uh, a general feeling of paranoia is good. Hmm. Uh, 
to me, what really makes a good espionage game, and I, I mean specifically an espionage game rather than an espionage adventure, yeah. is a bit of tradecraft. Go on. Um, Why the, the dead drops, the brush passes, um, the witch encryption you use, the constant worry about whether what you're doing is another loyalty test or a genuine operation. Mm. Um, that is, to me, is what makes a spy game feel like a spy game, as oh. opposed to an action game or an adventure game. I'm having there, prob- there are a couple of very good Wikipedia pages on this. I will link in the show notes. Well, maybe this is part of the problem that I'm having with um, NBA, which is my players are... It, it's set up to be Jason Bourne, which I've never watched, which may be one of my I get problems. the impression it's more, it's more action than spy. It is. Yeah, you are. But there is a lot of spy in it. It is an investigative, um, it is an investigative system. Uh, it's gumshoe. And and leading them down the path towards what they need to know and making them pay sufficient prices on the way. I don't know. The 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 the, the problem is is partly that that they find the uh, the details of how we plan this and how we get this done either ludicrous um, or just not interesting. I'm not quite sure which. And then with mm. the Curtail with Robbins and and Ken. Well, Ken's Ken's slightly more concentrating on lack of interest in supporting um, the mechanics of action. Then I feel that that part of the game also falls short, somewhat, because I don't. I I basically do not like the uh, the put the 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 uh, the point pool system as a means of modelling the whole thing. It is, as you've said before, a, a, a method of focusing um, the action. And I, 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 maybe you would be the ideal player for my NBA game, <laughs> rather than the poor people I'm, I'm currently imposing it on. Well, we, ha- we have heard from another um, person r- running the Dracula dossier who, yeah. who, who has abandoned it, <sighs> basically because the players were in a, slightly, in, in a different genre. Yeah. Which genre were they in? <laughs> I don't know, but I, the, I got the impression that, the, that they were very happy to look at things through, through a telescopic sight and completely unwilling to go in and get, get involved and get dirty. Yeah. We, uh, don't we have people to do that for us? Whereas the whole point of NBA is that, uh, is, is that you're on your own and you're facing the horrors of the night and nobody else can be entirely relied on. It's, it's not just that. It's um, that in order to, for you, for you to notice weird stuff and get clues, you you have to be going going into places having fists and fist and knife fights with people, or, or burgling their their uh, flats at the very least. Mm. And if if what you're doing is just rigging them with explosives or, or uh, collecting evidence um, by by long range camera, you don't get that trip into the oh hang on a minute his eyes look really weird. Oh. Yeah, I uh, I normally I normally spring the vampires on them at places where they have no reasonable expectation a vampire will turn up, um, but they are getting to the point where, and and I do have a problem with with players who say, "Why are we doing this? Why are we having to save the world? And um, why can't we just run away and hide, a long long way away?" Yeah, well, action films don't go to a lot of trouble to establish motivation most of the time. When they do, yeah. it tends to be pretty funky. Oh no, they kidnapped his girlfriend. But um, yeah, there, there yeah. is the drive system, and and 
uh, yeah, but we, are we getting off the point of spies? Probably. Brett also asks, what are, what are the best agencies to work for? Uncle, and and he, he has a long list of agencies, many of which I've heard of. Uh, I don't I don't want to get political about about specific mm. things, um, but I, th- I think there is a certain amount of taxonomy to be done here. Go on. Uh, realistic versus cinematic is not not so much a choice of agency, but it, it will feed into it. Mm. Uh, I would say fictional versus real. Yeah. Um, many people are cynical about their own country's agencies. Maybe this is more of a British than an American thing. Um, and they're even more cynical about other countries' agencies. Yeah. Getting good information about real-life agencies is, unsurprisingly, quite difficult. Well, they do try to discourage it. The The official history of MI5 is, is on my reading list. Mm. Um, if you're being cinematic, that's less of a problem. On the other hand, a fictional agency is more difficult to integrate with the real world. I mean, I, either it is well-known and should therefore change the shape of the world a bit, yeah. because... Okay, in in the States you have lots of federal agencies that have some degree of intelligence gathering function. You can probably add one more in without too much trouble, just just as lots of them have SWAT teams. Yeah. Uh, in the UK we basically don't. There are, there's always there's always room for another obscure department of the Foreign Office or or, yeah. or the MOD. What what we don't have, pretty much by definition really, is real world examples of organizations that are so secret that nobody knows about them. Because we don't know about them. Well, quite. Uh, transnational organisations like Uncle are also a problem because there, there, there is no. As far as we can tell, they're keeping it from us. There is no such uh, level of co-op- cooperation. It was a thing in the Man from Uncle TV series that they had to keep explaining who they were mm-hmm. and where they were from. And have you never heard of us? And people would say no. No, it's like that, that, like the post office every time. There was a, there's a TV series called Stitches, which is often very bad, um, mm. but quite fun. I, I enjoy it because you, you can see where the seams are and pinch ideas from it. Um, but they, they had a plot line in the most recent season where one of the agents is telling, trying not to tell his new girlfriend what he does for a living. Mm. So he lies to her and this causes problems and so on. And a real world agency has a procedure for that. Yeah. And th- this fictional agency ought to have a procedure for that. And it was a curious susp- uh, failure of suspension of disbelief that they didn't. Yeah, I'm with uh, the Ministry of, uh, of food, uh, food and Fisheries. Um, I inspect I inspect CODs. And somehow, sometimes I have to um, work very late for a COD inspection emergency. Yeah, you wouldn't believe what would happen if we left the COD alone. The other big decision to make is um, more, more in terms of agency function, uh, intelligence or counterintelligence. Generally, these two are not combined in the same agency. Yeah. Uncle is, um, I, I suppose, a counterintelligence agency. It's there to stop uh, stop thrush. Yeah. I, but basically, I, I would call this, are you are you trying to get stuff from the enemy or are you trying to stop the enemy getting stuff from you yeah. in, in the in the nation-state sense? Um, there, there is also, for the fantastic genre, the control of the weird agency. Yeah, Which I, I, I think is. that does tend to blur a bit. Um, I, we, we've said before, you you are the only ones who who know about this stuff. Oh. Is, is one of the motifs I, I use quite a bit. Yeah. Only ones within your country's yeah. apparatus. Um, so yeah, that, that that might well blur into well, well, we've we've only got five people who 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 understand psionics. They're going to have to do a bit of everything. Yeah. Um, I think intelligence tends to be a bit more free ranging. 
Mm. It's certainly where you put the cinematic going off to an exotic location. Except that, that for your sense of realism, it is deeply tedious. It involves going out... Look, the, 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 the average spy, um, call it that, is, is uh, covered diplomatically. He's, he's, a, he's a, a, a third cultural attaché, um, and his official job, job is arranging uh, schools tours and passing canapes. I would love to play in a one-on-one game where my... And I think it would only work that way where my character is in that sort of job as as a uh, as a cultivator of of human sources so mm. what he's doing is talking to people trying to work out who, who is going who is ready to betray their country or who can be tweaked into betraying their country who can be blackmailed into it mm. and so, and so on um it has to be a solo game because the whole point of this job is you don't have any friends you can trust yeah it's also any, any of my regular GMs who want to run this, go, go for it. Um, it, it yeah. It's also terribly non-heroic. Yeah, it is, can, and in fact, it's bloody degrade, uh, degraded and, and quite nasty. I mean, you yeah. may, your your sense of duty to your country, and perhaps your sense of hatred for the other side, uh, may motivate you, but it, you can't pretend it's anything like nice. Yeah, counterintel is also a bit less morally grey, mm. a bit. And at least most of the job is stopping people who have chosen to act against your country from inside yeah. or outside, as opposed to encouraging people to act against their country. Yeah. Um, but both both of these have the who can you trust? Obviously, yeah. you need that. Uh, can we go back to my point at the at the start, which yeah. is this is not a team. This is not a natural team game genre. I think the more cinematic one does work well. And J- James Bond can do everything. Yeah. Um, but it would be entirely plausible to have a group of three or four people, each of whom have some of those skills. Yeah. That, so, well, so, so one, one of them goes, goes to the party to, to cause distraction while the techie sneaks into the party and picks the lock. Yeah. Well, that, the this safe. is what I'm, I, this is what Night, Back Agents forces you towards. And it's what a, uh, Mission Impossible style game is uh, pretty much designed. Designed for you. you yeah, get if, if I was setting up a new, um, if if I think one could do a lot worse than use Mission Impossible as a model, yeah, uh, for for a well a, a caper game more than a spy game, but you could certainly put that sort of element into it. Uh, similarly, Burn Notice. Um, similarly, Leverage. Yeah, I Leverage is. Uh, I'm not. I've only flicked through the the role playing game and watched one or two episodes, but it is. It's a fixed team. Um, it's a fixed repertory company, um, which yeah. can, uh, which is a little artificial, and it makes it makes good for good character identification. But the original Mission Impossible, you've got the director and you've got the organizer, and you've got his his various specialists who can be brought in. Yeah, one of the things I liked about that that I haven't seen done in a role-playing game is you, you, you've you got a few regulars who generally change at the at the per-season level. Yeah. Um, but for any given mission, you may well have one or two specialists who are just there for that thing. You, you've got the guy who's, I don't know, a really superb acrobat because yeah. we, this, this particular mission plan needs one. We, we don't need a character who... who Spends all all the other missions saying I've spent all these points on acrobats. Where's where's, where's something to swing from? Because he's just not on stage. Yeah, it calls for troop style play. For um, for for this week you are the you are the we uh, we need you to play this. Well, it's a combination of troop style and the same few generalists. Mm. So you have a sense of continuity. Yeah, 
Um, it might it might work best with rotating GMs. Yep. I'm sorry, I just had a mental flash of GMs rotating. It's all right. I'll, it'll go away in a moment. Are you sure you don't mean revolving? Well, is there a distinction? Yes. Oh, damn. I don't believe there is. I, I think you can rotate the Earth or rotates revolve. The axis it, it, and revolves about the sun. Uh, or maybe I've got that the wrong way around. It's been a long time since I thought of this. Yeah, I, I, I think you can rotate or... Rev- if you're stuck on a spit, I think you can rotate or you can revolve. <laughs> that was the mental image I was going off with, anyway. <laughs> uh, Brett also asks about villains. Um, uh. Which is also period. I mean, do do you want to take historical villains, um, MI6 and FBI versus Nazis and Bolsheviks, or, or go modern or imaginary villains? And I, I, I've said before, I'd like to have something a bit paranormal in an otherwise real world mm. setting. Um, so taking the 60s Psy campaign as an example, that meant looking at each power block and thinking, okay, they are in some way going to find out that this stuff is out there. Yeah. How are they going to treat it? So th- there are Soviet psychics, but it's done mechanically with very crude surgery because the Soviet ethos is that anyone can learn a skill. Mm. And and that system allows anyone to learn a skill. And we're um, going to ignore ignore the, the fact that it uh, le- shortens your li- lifespan by a third. Uh, their lifespans didn't really become, become a factor. Um, but... In terms of the missions they're sent on, that you know, there is still a Soviet Union in 1967. It still wants fundamentally the same things that it did historically, at, yeah. le- at least until Psy gets big and well known. Mm. And so the things they're sent to do are basically similar, and then they're going to use Psy abilities to try to do them. I think, uh, and the Americans? Um, well, since the initial Psy uh, exposure seems to be caused by something happening in low orbit. Yeah, they have a certain. Uh, they have lots of access. Yeah. Ah, uh, the 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 thing about all right, historical models are easier to do because we think that they are dealt with and down and the Nazis were <laughs> defeated. Please, God, let me be right about that. Um, and the and and, and the Soviet Union uh, fell apart. And we can, um, and we and we can, uh, and we can say yes. These were clear, clearly bad guys, perhaps with a few good guys on their side, but mo- mostly, mostly the bad. If you move into the modern day, you get into political problems and things we're still arguing hmm. about. There's a whole lot of stuff in the Dracula dossier about Dracula um, acting as um, a Basically, a large-scale assassin against uh, against Al Qaeda and other other Muslim radicals, uh, because well, you know, um, if he's going to eat people, he may as well eat people we don't like. Is the point of view mm-hmm. of the British? Um, and I'm 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 throwing in the ending, which involves Vladimir Putin, um, to round off my campaign. <laughs> But there, there is a certain tackiness, a certain I have to make judgments about real people who are really alive at this real moment, yeah. and these real issues, which can be or can be fun, but can be awkward too. Yeah, I, I've occasionally run an up to the minute game. Reading the news is a great scenario generator. Yeah, as long as you don't have a, a solid sense of decorum. 
Um, but I find it basically very dispiriting to pay attention to the news. This is not a recent thing. I've felt this way for at least 10 years. Yeah. Um, so it, that, that makes it very hard work for me. Somebody who actually reads a newspaper every day or the equivalent yeah, I mean, would probably be happier. Well, I, I'm not... It's not making me any happier, but, you know, it does provide a certain level of amusement. I have... I did in the past involve, uh, cause George W. Bush to be, um, if not the Antichrist, at least uh, demonically possessed in one of my games. <laughs> and um, at the moment, um, as my Dracula dossier game is set in uh, 2011, and as certain events have gone um, a bit pear-shaped back in the UK, I have caused... Um, I have caused David Cameron to resign in disgrace it, it, before that the, the dratted referendum. This may be, you know, wishful thinking, but the GM is allowed a certain amount of wishful fulfillment as well, <laughs> all right? The person in control of the UK may be, uh, an, uh, may be a, a, a rebel bride of Dracula, but, uh, I mean, she's got to be some sort of an improvement. <laughs> you mean it's... Uh, never mind. Never mind. Um, Brett also asked about tech levels. Yeah. Um, particularly as, as you get to concealable bugs, GPS tracers, um, telephones, mobiles, and so on. Mm. How, I, how does this affect the kind of story you, you can uh, tell and play? Well, for for a start, watch an, watch an early James Bond film sometime. They, they don't just have, you know, here is a plane landing and, and here he is in Jamaica. They They have... The plane taking off on the plane, the plane landing. This is an exciting thing, international jet travel. Yeah. And it, the more up to the minute something is, the more aged it's going to look in, in a few years' time. Well, it's true, but uh, ne nobody is going to be rewatching our campaign. So, so let's 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 keep it focused on the moment. <laughs> and and, uh, and, uh, and the, the whole stuff about the the GPS tracker trackers and the and the. And the and the and the and the bugs that he he puts in people's cars and Goldfinger, um, clunk clunk. My own feeling, um, my own problem is that my my players probably know more about the technical stuff than I do. And if I try to introduce uh, a detail, they're going to look at me and tell me, Mike, that's not actually how it's going to work now, is it? And then go off into a fifteen-minute digression, which you know, as far as if they're having fun. <laughs> I suppose is um but it's not getting my plot any forwarder. Uh it, I, I would I think I would say it, if the key skill role of the adventure is is going to be as it might be it often is. Uh, and, digital and it, intrusion. Yeah. Okay, I, th I think you've got two two approaches you can take to that. One is you can make it into a mini game which is effectively what Cyberpunk did. Yeah. Uh the other is to say okay, this is the vital role that you're going to be making at the end of the session. The session is about getting all the pluses to that role. Mm. Yeah, that is a neat way way of doing it. You want to do this? How can you help do this? Um, so even even if it's not the entire session, it's a question you well, should the, be the, asking. The next chunk of adventure, as, as one might say. Um, yeah, there there is a deadline. We we need to do this by yeah such and such game time. Right now, now go and find out everything you can about this guy that is going to make it easier. And maybe that's going to be a um, a sufficiently subtle burglary that he doesn't know he's being compromised. If if you're going going for the uh, big yeah, option, this can tend to de uh, devolve into planning hell. Mm. <sighs> Should we do this? Should we do that? I have come yeah, up. Yeah, but with... then then you just roll the time forward and say, right, what's what's your plan? You've got to go now or not at all. 
that 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 would be cruel. I thought we were just talking. Oh no, no, I didn't mean that at all. Oh dear, you've taken an hour of real time. That's at least an hour <laughs> of game time. Um, <laughs> An example I was thinking about, um, let, let's say you, you've, you've got a bunch of people you want to know which of them is the traitor, fairly mm-hmm. standard sort of scenario. Um, a thing you might do these days is try to bug all their net connections. Mm. So, okay, you know, one of them has an awkward bastard ISP that won't play. Yeah. I know these exist because I'm a customer of one myself. One of them has lots of encrypted traffic um, go, going to dubious places. It turns out it, it's entirely legal. It's just not something you wanted known about. Mm. Uh, the guy you actually want ha- has a completely standard uh, web profile and is putting microdots on his sandwich wrappers when he goes to lunch and throwing them in the bin. Hmm. It, it, it's it's more options. I, I don't think it breaks stories. I, I do think you you may need to consider which bit of the story you're going to talk about to make it fun. Yeah. The one thing that does occur to me, talking about the the clunky technology that was so uh, of yore that was so wonderful. Is that you might run a game, a sort of a semi-time travel game, in which you're going back into the past and you're taking your modern tech with mm. you, um, and uh, and using all the fantastic stuff that you can do nowadays, um, but couldn't do then, and people will go, "Gosh, wow!" GURPS Infinite World setting is a bit like that. Yeah, it has to be, but keeping it keeping it so the natives don't notice could be an interesting challenge, especially if the natives know that this sort of thing is technically possible. Somebody at, at a... At a I don't know, what at what point does modern tech become obvious? It's obvious in the 1960s that that sort of thing would be possible. It's just astoundingly advanced. In the 1850s, do they get it? The The big one for spotting stuff, as far as I'm concerned, is radio. Yeah, because what, once you have radio receivers, uh, yeah, the, the the first ones are very crude and insensitive, but you might just get lucky and pick up that burst transmission, mm. or you you at least might find out that there is something that is transmitting occasionally. Oh, you can at least figure out that it's technically possible that uh, that a message can be sent that way. If you go back before photography, before there's a there's a really bad. Um, I'm not going to advertise it because I'm ashamed <laughs> to admit that I enjoy it. Uh, time travel series which involves historians going back and doing recordings of things in the past and the author doesn't actually go into too much detail about her characters how they're actually you know recording things and I I, I wonder about how people are notice whether people would notice why has she not come up with a plot point of of people, uh, what's pe- that box on your shoulder? Yeah, you remember that the, that fuss a while back at which somebody claimed to have spotted. Uh, a, a silent film in which somebody was using a mobile phone. Mm-hmm. Um, the the whole the, the the things should be slightly more obvious. It should be a, should be an issue, and people should find themselves in that sort of difficulty more often. There's been a thread recently on the uh, Steve Jackson Games forum of um, how do you spot when your co-worker is secretly from the future? Yeah, I saw that. Yes. Um, yeah, it, it is, uh, it, it, you spot them. I think the best answer was when they get the, the, the period detail, uh, slightly wrong and they're, they're wearing something that's, um, uh, well, yes, that was 10, 20 years ago. We don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I think that's, the, 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 just, when the, when the historical research has let them down a little and they're going to have a terrible argument with wardrobe when they get back.
But that's exactly the way it was in Diana Warrior Princess. Yeah. Uh, there's a plug for a, a worthy product, if ever there was one. We... Uh, what the... GURPS Espionage, I Go think, on. is worth mentioning. Oh. It, it's... Yeah, it's from 1992, mm -hmm. so, so it doesn't cover a lot of the latest tech. It's reasonably good on tradecraft. The thing it's really good for is talking about the psychology of the sort of people who get involved in espionage, um, both, both the patsies and, and the agent runners. All right. What sort of people do then, according to them? Um, people who, who are not good at fitting in with things in general, to, to approximate things. But your, your, your classic um, traitor, yeah. for example, is the guy who... Well, the, there are several versions, but a, a lot of it is the, the guy who thinks he should have done better. Yeah, um, vanity. And they, they don't recognise my genius. Hmm. And that, that sort of thing. And uh, here, here is this nice, sympathetic guy who, who buys me drinks and is prepared to listen to me um, talk, talk about how terrible my life is working in the top-secret establishment. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, of course, I'll... I'll, I'll, they'll, they'll, I, I've worked out for myself how, how I could copy a document and never get caught. I'll do this just to prove it. And then, then, then oh, now, now he seems to be blackmailing me. And uh, yeah. the, uh, the, the others are sex and money. Sex, actually, and principle. Let, let's try and be nice to the guy who doesn't fit in. He may actually have principles um, mm -hmm. which aren't being currently served by his current regime. Yeah, uh, I, be, I believe the term is ethicals. Ethicals. And, and they, are, they are regarded by the pros, or at least the pros who are prepared to talk about it, as a complete pain. <laughs> because they have principles. <laughs> and there are things they won't do, even if you blackmail them. Yeah. Uh, but they they will you know volunteer and do stuff uh, stuff that that is quite dangerous if they think it is for their principles. But uh, the agent runners tend not to to believe in principles. And if they do, they're going to get picked up really quite fast, or mm. burn out, or both. Now, agent runners are a peculiar bunch of people as well who must have simultaneously uh, sympathy and slight contempt for the the people they are um, uh, they are they are running. Uh, yeah. I, there, there are a lot of uh, really nice so, agent runners in uh, Tom Clancy's books, but I've never quite believed them. Um, it, it's that, that combination of, yeah, yes, I am nice and sympathetic, and maybe I need to lean on you a little bit from time to time, but basically I'm your friend. And when you get caught, you're never going to hear from me again. Hmm. And I'm not never going to think of you again. Yeah. Of course I sleep at night. It's a very weird and very broken uh, world, the world of espionage. Shall we move on? I think so. The golden age of role-playing, it has often been said, is 14. But it doesn't actually apply to me because I didn't start um, in this peculiar hobby until I was 21, having been uh, carelessly born too early. But we all have, uh, those, at least those of us who have been doing it for a while, have a personal golden ages, a personal high peaks, and things we look back to and are, are probably unwisely nostalgic about. Uh, mine, I, th I think, comes in two phases, the first of which was discovering RuneQuest, and, um, and caused a... It wasn't my first first thing, 
there was a long there was about five or six years between hang on three or four years between me getting into the hobby and me actually falling into RuneQuest, which was a game I was actually in love with. Um, I, I felt uh, awkward doing D&D, though I did it. We mm. all did. Um, falling into RuneQuest was my first golden age. I'm going to talk about the second one um, in a moment. But um, RuneQuest was not only a good system that, that fitted my prejudices, that work that made sense to me, but it also had um, support and a quirky world in Glorantha, which I could explore. Not that, that we had much then. Um, mm. like, there, there was enough you could you could have a significant chance of having read most of it. Yeah, um, I think I did as time went by. But that was my first golden age, and it was uh, a golden age which went on as long as it could until I actually burned out on the, on on the game um, for uh, for a while. But what was yours? Hmm. I must admit, I don't think... I look to the future rather than the past, I think. I'm, there have been definite phases phases of my gaming okay. career, but I don't look back at, the, at them and think, gosh, I wish I were doing that again. Or even, gosh, I wish I felt the way I feel I've, now that I'm the way I felt then. So, yeah, I started with... Um, I think it was, yeah, pe people who care about exact versions will know about exact versions, but basically uh, early 80s, um, basic and advanced dungeon, or basic and expert, I should say, Dungeons and Dragons were published uh, in the UK, and somebody at TSR had the, had the sense to get them into department stores and place places rather than just model shops. Yeah. Uh, and I had he heard of the game and played a little before then, but that was where, where I got a copy from. And I'm doing most mostly as it turned out AD and D for quite a while. Um, then I, I was getting increasingly unhappy with the system. I blended it with a bit of RuneQuest, which mm. worked mm, better than I'd expected in retrospect. Um, moved over to Rollmaster, which mm. did all the things I really wanted a game to do at that point. Um, so late eighties, early nineties, I was playing largely with a group in Surbiton. When I was running stuff, it was usually Rollmaster. When they were running it, it was various other things. I think I played DC Heroes there. Um, for for a while, I wasn't wasn't doing much regular gaming. Um, yeah, a few a few weekends away a year with some mates. Um, then Monday nights, Guild of Melee, Magic Central, London. By this, by this time, I'd, I'd shifted my preference system to more um, Dark Conspiracy, GGW House system. Hmm. But you don't, you don't have a period where it sticks out in your mind of I was flying then. Um, well, no. And then, then after that, two thousand and three, I joined, joined the Cambridge group and started playing hmm. a lot of GURPS just in time for fourth edition to come out. And I, I can look at specific campaigns, but to be honest, I, th I think probably the best game I've run is the World War Two game, and that's not over yet. Right. And I hope that in ten years' time, I won't be saying that was the best game I ever ran. Well, the thing is, I, uh, hmm, I got, well, I, I discovered GURPS in the well, when it came out, mid eighties, and uh, it was a was a booster to me. It made um, some things a lot easier to do. 
and gave me a whole new range of settings that I could um, explore and exploit. Yeah, I, I, I met it at the time, but it wasn't really the game that I wanted then. Hmm. Um, I, I, but my second big burst of creativity came with uh, with the first of the wave of indie games, which for me was over the edge, which was very quirky, very minimalist, especially if you're coming to it from GURPS, mm. and gave me um, a new confidence in my ability to improvise. Um, over the Edge and then Everway gave me the ability to say, look, um, I can dispose of all this, um, all this mechanical uh, stuff and put it to one side, and I can just run with the core descriptions of the characters and what my mind comes up with as we run. And it shortened my preparation time, the amount of preparation I thought I needed mm. um, for a game. And it uh, it made everything start to flow again, everything start to bur burst again. Now Nowadays, I have sort of taken up the burden of being a simulationist of being caring about all the all the clunky mechanical stuff again, mm -hmm. but with a uh, but with a sense of being able to improvise, which um, uh, which still keeps my games flowing when they are flowing. They have had hiccups recently. I don't think I'm looking back to any one period. I think I'm desperately trying to get a good combination of setting and system and players together which will allow things to flow once more i'm in a bit of a dry period at the moment which may be why i'm looking back i i once i recently went back and read through my entire stock of arms and excursions stuff and that was an exercise in nostalgia and mm. in a despair at my fading memory when i came across players and, and sometimes entire campaigns which i had forgotten about <laughs> And only written down at, at down at the time. I think. I think they. I'm not sure if we're in a golden age at the moment. Certainly for somebody, this is the golden age, but that's because that somebody is at uh, a juicy moment in their lives. Yeah, I mean, as as I've got older, I'm, I'm less inclined to say, "Wow, this is the best thing ever." Yeah. Um, at least until I've engaged with it for a bit and, and thought about it. You are not a wild enthusiast, Roger. About my, so well, you haven't heard me ranting about three G printing recently, have you? No. All right, we'll we'll skip we'll skip that. <laughs> the uh, yeah, all right. Uh, the the trouble with golden ages is if you get stuck in them, and rather than um, if you can't get back, can't get out of them, and if you can't get back into them when you need them. Yeah, th thinking of that was was um, what crystallised my objections to the um, old school renaissance stuff I mean, looking at the blurb for Adventure of Conqueror King any referee who has ever checked a random encounters every player who has rolled a 20 sided dice date a wandering monster will find the rules of Adventure of Conqueror King as elegant, familiar and comfortable to wield as an heirloom sword Oh my godfathers. The system's cutting edges the way every table chart and assumption in the game encodes Gygaxian naturalism. Now, to me, that, 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 that's, not a, that's not a reason to dislike the game. That's a useful warning that I won't enjoy it. <laughs> oh my godfathers. Gygaxian naturalism. And Arnesonian barony building, to be fair. 
Uh, what? Uh, uh, I, I never thought. I never thought what Gary uh, Gygax was doing was was you know natural. Um, it's, it's all a very unknown. <laughs> I, look, look. Uh, I can. Uh, I know we've already reached the point at which there are uh, 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 critics of game theory and, and get theories about games and, and critics of them, but. Gygaxian naturalism. It's a bit too soon. Can we not wait for a hundred years for that to that to have come out? Now, you, you look at this, and then which is basically relying on the fact that you can duplicate old mechanics without, yeah. as long as you don't copy the wording. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, and we have newer games like uh, Dungeon World that we've talked about before that manage the same kind of job and storytelling without the, without the same level of frankly clunkiness. And, and frankly, effort on the part of the GM. The, the, the... So, so what is the thing that makes an OSR game different from Dungeon World? It is that it is re- it is copying the rules of the games you played in your lost youth. This yeah. does not bring your lost youth back. I'm, it... I'm sure the people who play them and enjoy them would say that's not fair and that's not what they're trying to do. For me, that would be the only reason to do it and, and not play Dungeon World instead or GURPS Dungeon Fantasy or... Or something, something that is actually... makes more... The... The ad- that advertising copy basically says you need never learn a new mechanic if you play our games. <laughs> nothing will stretch you. Nothing will... And that is probably... Uh, I mean, it may be un- their advertising copy may be unfair to the games. But uh, I don't think I'm quite uh, 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 me- mentally ossified yet. It's coming close. In certain parts of my my, my my life, I am going to be a grumpy old geezer who looks back to the good old days. But I am still re- willing to read a new game and try and make sense of it and try and see what it could bring to my life. And it may be, it may be that I'm just nostalgic back for the 1980s when I have... Uh, I could... Um, uh, I I could take the first edition of GURPS out and and create something nobody had seen seen before. Mm-hmm. It is perfectly true that I, I was a certain amount of grognard about fourth edition, and I still think what what they did to to the explosive fireball rules is an abomination onto gaming. But um, on the whole, I've adapt I've adapted to it, and I understand the 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 reasons for it. I I just. It may just be that my 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 uh, my golden age mentality is focused on things that are more recent than O D and D, or even A D and D. Well, both of us, I think, were, were quite glad to move away from A D and D that we'd started with mm. when we found other systems out there that did did certain things better. Yeah. Um, that's certainly my feeling. I'm, similarly, I'm, I'm quite glad to have moved away from the dungeon bash because I find other sorts of adventure more interesting. And so, yeah, the OSR is not aimed at me. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm sort of trembling with dread to see what the latest Chaosium rewrite of of um, RuneQuest is going to be like. I felt RuneQuest Six went into, oh, which is now called something else, which I can't remember, went mm. into several mythos. That's it. Mithras? Mithras, or something like that, um, went into several di- uh, directions that I didn't really like. Um, but uh, but Chaosim is deliberately marketing this as more like um, second edition, not even go- going back as far as the Avalon Hill, which was actually my preferred edition. So I'm, I'm a little nervous about that. 
my experience at the moment with Pendragon is proving that, yeah, not all the retro I, I, I can run is retro that I should run. I am not sure that the, uh, the, the game mechanic is actually stroking the egos of my players in precisely the way that I want it to and giving them the sort of fun that they want to have. Mm. It is it is a little too much. We do this one thing, and that is the one thing that we do. When a character is defined by their role, by their social position as a knight is, then they are slightly trapped in, in so many ways. If you and fun- at the same time, you don't have niche protection. Yeah, quite. Well, up to a certain point, but there are only so many things that a knight can do. And we're occupying most of them, I think, at the moment. Yeah, I, I do tend to think of knights as basically the, the um, excuses for investigative adventures more more than mm. anything else, but that that's just the way I look at it. And let, let, let us consider a, a, a group of people who, who are playing original rule well i think it's mostly ad ish slightly modified with house rules the loughborough mafia uh-huh i know not these people uh john dalman among others the the, the guys right. who role play a lot at stabcom okay oh gosh yes the eternal ongoing never finishing huge meta campaign yeah um the machine and of the, number mad oh lord and and they're using ad and d basically because it's a system well Modified AD&D, because it's a system they're all, they're all terribly familiar with, yeah, and and can play in their sleep, and I suspect some of them do. But um, that that's because the the adventures are not about can you win this fight. The adventures are about can can you work out what's going on, mm. um, and w- w- when you do, can you work out how to use your your ridiculous array of spells to do something about it, perhaps. But I I I I felt RuneQuest broke. Um, at high levels, it's it's a well it's a well known fact that it became more it becomes more and more difficult once you're above rune level to keep things going to make things interesting because mm. people become omnicompetent. But I'm never I cannot quite contemplate without utter horror the thought of D and D characters being being played for. 40 year, going on for forty years and have accumulated all the knowledge and all the skills and all the all the junk that you can accumulate over that that time, and all the backstory, and all the heroes, and and at this moment in time, I I, I would probably want to burn it all down and create the uh, the the next generation. <laughs> at least you know, no, destroy the universe. I, I I could not live without if I I I were their GM, I could not live without destroying the universe. I, 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 th- I think most of them take a GM at some point. Yeah. You know, the, 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 this is a collaborative effort, and okay, they're, they're not not getting a, lo- a whole bunch of new players. But I don't think they're looking for them. They're, they're enough no, of them; they can, they can keep the thing going and have fun with it. Oh well, no, I I, I would not that that I would not wish to 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 um, uh, rain on anybody's parade. But on the whole, it is it is something that I see some friends of mine doing, and I look, I tiptoe away, very very carefully. <laughs> That has been, for the 51st time, Improvised Radio Theatre 
with Dice. With me, Michael Kuehl. And me, Roger Bell-West. Uh, please tell us about the things that you warn new players at, uh, in your campaign about. Uh, the times that you have saved the universe from Smirch or Spectre or somebody of that short. Um, and also when your golden age was, or if it is yet to be, or or even more interesting, if it is now. Uh, you can contact us um, via leaving a message at the website or email to podcast at tekeli.ly. And we'll be back for episode 52 next month.